This is the Teaching and Learning Podcast from the Centre for Teaching, Learning and Innovation at Lethbridge College in Southern Alberta, Canada. Located on the traditional lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy, it is the intent of our college community to honour the land from a place of connection and provide an avenue for us all to come together in a holistic way to share stories and learn from each other. Tune in, hit play, and get inspired as guests share their stories and ideas on the dynamic, ever-changing landscape of education, teaching, and learning. I am Donna McLaughlin, a learning experience designer in the Centre for Teaching, Learning, and Innovation at Lethbridge College, and I am the host of the Teaching and Learning Podcast. I'm very excited about today's podcast because today we have someone who is very passionate about their subject matter and uh, very inspiring and is going to be sharing some amazing, innovative ideas. So I would like to welcome Amy Hodgson Bright to the podcast. Welcome, Amy. Thanks for having me. Amy is an instructor, uh, an English instructor in the Center for Arts and Science, and um, we're going to be talking later about some of the many innovative and creative things that you do, but I think maybe what we'll do is kind of start from the beginning, and I'd like to find out more about um, how, your journey to arriving at the college. Sure. Um, well, I'm actually from Lethbridge originally. Um, so this is my hometown. And um, like many people who grow up in Lethbridge, um, once I graduated from high school, I wanted to go as far away <laughs> as possible. Um, and so I ended up um, choosing a very small undergraduate university in New Brunswick, Mount Allison University, um, in a tiny town called Sackville. It's about the same size as Coldell. Um, and I really credit um, all everywhere I've been since then to my time at Mount Allison. Um, so while I was there, I got to encounter such small class sizes. I mean, it's a small university, so um, I had a lot of classes that only had 12 students in them. That's amazing. That's really unusual to, to encounter that. It is. And I really think as a result of that, um, professors were more than just um, teachers. They really did become mentors. Um, and I really think there were three, especially, who just modeled such innovative practice with English. And they really expanded my definition of what studying English literature could be. Um, so one of my favorite professors was Dr. Crystal Verdun, um, who specializes in Canadian literature. Um, and what she did that was so, uh, that, that resonated so much with me was that she routinely invited Canadian authors onto campus. Um, sometimes those authors spoke to our entire university. So, for example, um, author Lawrence Hill, who wrote The Book of Negroes, which is now a CBC miniseries, mm -hmm. um, he spoke to our yeah, entire university. But we also had authors like Tomas Debozy, um, who's a professor and a writer. Um, and I remember the, again the opportunity to have dinner with him at my professor's house with a few other students. Such an impactful experience to have that opportunity to, to be up close and personal with those authors. 
Absolutely. I think it really, for me, demystified the process of becoming a writer um, because the, these writers were just taking so much time um, to share with us their process and their routes to publication. And it made it a lot more tangible, a lot more real and accessible. Um, so I really, I really credit that experience to um, uh, I, yeah, my, my education <laughs> and my focus on reading and writing. Um, I also had a professor, Dr. Janine Rogers, who was a medievalist, but she um, kind of had an interdisciplinary approach between English and science which is something I had never encountered before. Um, and I, I had a professor, Dr. Karen Bamford, who in a Shakespeare class did not just have us read Shakespeare, but had us go to a local elementary school and help uh, students put on um, some acts from Shakespeare plays. And it just, it made it so much more fun than just sitting in a classroom and reading scenes out loud <laughs> from Shakespeare. <laughs> Yeah, I could see how that would do that and, and so much more, more relevant. Absolutely. So I, I really felt like um, my professors at Mount Allison uh, really fostered a community of literacy. Um, there were so many opportunities to connect to reading and writing that were um, so innovative and non-traditional. Um, so for example, we had um, a student literary magazine, student run, um, and I served as an editor for several years. It was called Seven Mondays, and we had a, a fantastic professor who kind of oversaw all of that. Um, I worked at a secondhand bookstore but throughout my entire undergraduate experience, um, the most fantastic secondhand bookstore, um, just filled with um, books from students and professors and just all day um, professors and students coming in to talk about books and drink the very, very bad coffee that I serve <laughs> them, <laughs> which I am now much better at making. Um, and uh, in addition to that, um, there were so many opportunities to pursue individual research at Mount Allison. So for two summers, I was able to apply for um, research grants to pursue research completely of my own interest. Um, and I remember one year I decided to pursue um, kind of studying the history of young adult literature. Um, young adult literature has been a category that I have loved to read since I was very young. Um, I was actually Lethbridge Herald's, uh, one of their first uh, teen book reviewers <laughs> back in, I think, 2000. Um, and it's just a category of literature that I find so fantastic. Um, and being able to study that throughout a summer with a uh, professor overseeing that work was outstanding. Um, I remember another summer I, I got to study like adaptation, so adapting books to movies. Um, and at that time, I adapted something I had written into um, a screenplay that ended up placing through the Alberta Writers Guild. I just felt like there were all of these hands-on experiences that were just there to help us develop um, as students, as writers, and as readers. Your your research that you had an opportunity to do sounds like um, you know, such a, an engaging opportunity and, and uh, you know, really a way to expand your knowledge already that, and, and your interests that you already had. 
I just was looking for opportunities to read all the time, <laughs> whether that was part of my classes or in the summer, that was what motivated me. <laughs> well, it certainly sounds like you found them. And it's also interesting looking back at your background with the newspaper in Lethbridge and your participation there as well. I, I was able to pursue kind of a creative writing project. So rather than taking um, more coursework, I was able to pursue um, a kind of an independent project that was supervised by another professor, um, Dr. Deborah Wills. And over the course of a year, I got to um, write a young adult novel and edit it. Um, and at the, the end of, of that process, I was encouraged by the professors who had been on my kind of supervisory committee to try and get it published. Um, and that summer, um, I did end up, end up sending it out and it was um, picked up by Red Deer Press, uh, which is a Canadian publishing house. And it was um, my first young adult novel. Um, so I, I, I really credit that as um, helping me continue to develop my interest in young adult literature and um, take me to, uh, I guess, the next post-secondary institution <laughs> that I went to. <laughs> yeah, congratulations. I mean, what a, what a perfect capstone project for your studies at Mount Allison, you know, to write the book and have it published. That's, that's amazing. And I, I think it's made me more aware of giving students more options and choice too, because I just see how much that benefited me um, as, as a student in English, just always being able to choose between the research and the creative. <laughs> and uh, I, I try and do the same thing. That we'll, we'll come back to that idea too of choice um, as we go on, because uh, you know, you're mentioning how impactful that was to you. So, so carrying on from Mount Allison, Yes, so um, I ended up doing my master's degree in English at the University of Victoria. So from one coast all the way to the other. Can't get <laughs> um, much further apart than that. No, you can't. <laughs> um, and while I was there, um, I got to continue to develop my interest in children's and young adult literature through my final master's paper. So what started um, at Mount Allison University, this interest in turning this category of literature I love to read into an actual research interest and eventually a career, <laughs> kind of uh, the next stepping stone was at the University of Victoria. Um, now, when I was there, I was lucky enough to be able to take a year-long um, uh, kind of teaching practice and theory course where I was able to teach not just at the University of Victoria, but also at Camosun College. Um, and it was when I was there, I, I had a fantastic mentor um, whose class I got to drop in and teach for a couple of weeks, um, who really showed me what life was like as an instructor at um, a college. And I love the experience. I love the students. Um, I loved how comfortable and laid back it felt. Uh, and that was the first time I thought, well, maybe this is the environment for me. <laughs> maybe it, maybe a college is, um, is a place that I'm really well suited for. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's wonderful that you had that opportunity presented to you because, you know, maybe you would have known otherwise. And, and uh, it, it's so interesting, I think, for people to hear how you've taken this passion for this type of literature and, and evolved it into your career. Yes. <laughs> and um, the, the, the way that I kind of um, 
went through this next was um, when I was a student at the University of Alberta. Um, so I completed my PhD in English uh, there. Uh, I was again, so lucky that I, I had two supervisors for my PhD. Um, one, Dr. Margaret Mackey, who's in library studies and the other, um, uh, my supervisor in the Department of English was um, Dr. Joanne Wallace. Um, so I had two supervisors, which meant two people to please and make happy with my writing instead of just one. <laughs> but, a little more challenging. Definitely. But it was, um, it was really a benefit because um, I, I really, again, got to combine theory and practice. So Margaret, you know, studying, um, focused on library studies. She was, you know, in the classroom with librarians and she had direct links to, to young people. And um, Dr. Wallace, she, uh, she had this theory and background. So the two of them really complemented each other and um, definitely made me a better researcher and writer. Um, so I ended up uh, writing my dissertation, which was on young adult literature uh, and how it's read, written and marketed differently in the 21st century. Um, and when I was halfway through my PhD program, so after my second year, there was a job posting at Lethbridge College. Um, and I ended up moving back to Lethbridge from Edmonton um, to start teaching at the college in 2014, which was fantastic. I was not just home alone writing all day. <laughs> I actually got a little bit of interaction from colleagues and students as well. Um, so I, I first started teaching casually at the college in 2014. And I remember being utterly devastated that there were no courses available to teach in winter 2015, I, I had to wait again for the next fall semester because I, I just fell in love with the, the college and the environment and the students so fast and just wanted to get back there. And luckily, it has turned into a full-time position because <laughs> um, I, I can't imagine anything that I would rather be doing. Well, the college is sure lucky to have you because, you know, you're completely passionate about your subject and you know, you're so knowledgeable and so immersed in it. So I think your students really will catch that or do catch that and are very inspired by that. So Amy, we've talked about your journey and, you know, how you got to be at Lethbridge College. And um, I want to talk now, shift a little bit now into talking a little bit about innovation and some of the things that you are, are doing currently in your practice and where you've come from, the practice that you had in your education really has set the stage for, I think, how, how you have gone about your teaching and, and your work with your students, because uh, that has really carried from your background. Yes, it, absolutely. So how would you define innovation? Well, um, to me, innovation, especially in an English course, um, means thinking differently about what English and English literature is. Um, so trying to think of um, English as not just reading the canon and traditional literature, no more Lord of the Flies. Because <laughs> um, I, I often find students come into the class and they think English is Shakespeare. And a lot of them will pull me aside after class and say, you know, I'm, I'm not good at English. 
English. I've never liked English or I'll, I'll get these emails too. And <laughs> it's like, they're admitting something terrible. I've never liked English. Um, and I really try to reassure them, you know, that English doesn't just look like going home at the end of the day and reading a 300 page novel. Um, it doesn't mean sitting down and always writing a research essay. Um, what we really try and do in, in English is think differently about what a text is. So reading and writing, you know, it's, it's, I, I tell students, you know, whenever they pick up their phones in our first class, I say, you're practicing reading and writing <laughs> right now, as you text a friend or read a text from a friend, um, uh, that whenever, you know, they send an email, anything, you know, can be a text that we engage with. So um, we, we spend our first few classes really thinking more broadly about what literacy is that, you know, there's digital literacy, how we read and write online, there's visual literacy, um, uh, oh, there's information literacy, and that seems to help students break down these preconceived notions of what English is and to kind of step away from the very bad experience that they last had in high school <laughs> English class with some book that they absolutely hated. Um, so I, I really start by trying to redefine what a text is. <laughs> I can see how that would really help students be able to break out of that mold and start to, to look at English in a different light. Um, and then talk about some of the, what are some of the other experiences that you've been able to provide for your students in your classes? Yes. Okay. So some of the, the experiences I've tried to provide students really come from trying to make English accessible and approachable, <laughs> which it often doesn't always feel like. Um, so one thing that I, I like to do with students is I, I have them fill out a worksheet that tells me what some of their favorite authors and books are. Um, and then I usually take those worksheets home and I, I, I email each student and I practice reader's advisory. So reader's advisory is kind of a library studies term. It's just what librarians do when you go into the library and ask for a good book to read. Uh, it's recommending um, a literature. So based on what students tell me they like to read, I try and give them a couple of recommendations. Um, one thing I really noticed from that is how often young adult literature comes up. So students are reading young adult literature so often, which is fantastic for me because I know exactly where to send them next. <laughs> yeah, that's your background. That's your specialty. Yes, but then as I, I started teaching um, different student groups and I would start getting responses from students saying, you know, I don't, I don't read books. I don't have a favorite author. So it then it kind of pushed me to have to rethink, you know, how am I going to do this worksheet? What other types of reading can I track with students? Uh, and then I started getting, you know, recommendations for, for books and, and magazines and websites that I would never have found on my own. Um, so then that made me, you know, think, you know, I've got to choose things for us to read and for students to read in English that are not based at all uh, on what I've read and what I like, which can sometimes be, you know, your first, first impulse, but on what is going to resonate with students and what they tell me resonates with them. So one of the first uh, kind of ways I got to practice this was in a composition class. Um, so our academic writing class on campus. Um, 
lots of students said that they loved young adult literature. So that semester, we all read a book called The Beginning of Everything by Robin Schneider, which if anybody is a reluctant reader, it has the best hook of all time in the first few pages. It starts with um, with a kid getting decapitated on a ride at Disneyland. <laughs> it's like, if you're looking for something to grab reader attention, it's just, there's nothing better than that. Wow, um, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have to look for this book. It's really good. Um, but be, based on that, we kind of use that text um, as something that we wrote towards all semester. So students did reading journals, um, but they did reading journals that had to be kind of multimodal. So with images and links. Um, and um, we all, all essay topics had to come from that book. So there was everything from um, an essay on amusement park incidents <laughs> and accidents, um, all the way to, um, to retiring um, uh, as a young person from sport uh, too early. So the book really connected with a lot of students. Um, I, I, in addition, I've just always been looking for ways to get more, uh, more creative writing into classrooms. So I guess as a second example, um, I've, I used to teach a business communications class. Uh, it was students only English class and it was really focused more on technical writing, on presenting. And I remember thinking, I've got to get something fun in here <laughs> for all of us to read. And so I actually had students read David Foster Wallace's uh, commencement speech, This Is Water, um, which really focuses on you know, where we put our attention, uh, where our awareness goes, especially, you know, in our in our sometimes mundane lives. And we read that as we were talking about routine messages that you you get tired of sending all the time. <laughs> and I just remember students love that and they got to connect to the course material in a much more creative way. Um, and they all got to read a little bit of David Foster Wallace <laughs> as well, which was kind of fun. <laughs> you found some amazing ways to bring in, you know, content that you wouldn't at the surface think maybe was part of that class and really connected it to that class and, um, you know, very much to your students' benefit. It also sounds like in teaching some of these classes that are, you know, not necessarily in your, your young adult background, you've learned from that. You've gained from those experiences as well. Oh, that is so true. <laughs> um, I, I feel like I've got to expand my, my knowledge and it's just really challenged me to read more broadly, to write more broadly and to look to students um, to try to find out where they are and meet them there because it's, it's, it's almost often in a much different place than I was um, in terms of what I studied in, in undergrad and throughout my degrees. Um, there's no better example of that than um, a scientific and technical writing course I teach um, for students in the School of Environmental Sciences. Um, so this is such a unique uh, partnership between departments at the college in that um, students who take this writing course, they take it at the same time that they take um, an ecology course in the School of Environmental Sciences. And all of the writing that they do for my course um, is responding to the content that they're learning in ecology 
technology, the lab work that they're doing, the field work that they're doing, and then they come to me and they write about it. Um, and I, I find I get to collaborate a lot with their instructor every semester, which is fantastic. Um, but yeah, I really get to look to them to be the experts. And I mean, I, I get to, you know, facilitate the writing and make that really structured. But as for content, they get to bring that knowledge into my classroom. And uh, it's just such a great experience, I think, for, for both of us. Um, that's just that course is a highlight um, of the courses that I teach at the college. <laughs> That's a win-win all around, you know, to have that kind of collaboration because, um, you know, it makes the work so much more relevant for them too, if they can be pulling it into what they're writing with you. It's so true. And um, I, I have gotten feedback from students and the same words always come up that they find the writing course valuable and relevant and applicable um, because most of the, the things that they're writing in English are, are things that they're writing in all of their content courses in, in their school, but also in their future careers as well. Um, so it's just so tied to what they, they actually want to do. So Amy, when you were talking about your educational experiences, your experience in New Brunswick and, and your experience in Victoria and Edmonton throughout your journey, um, you mentioned a lot about, you know, having these opportunities and being, you know, all the different mentors that, that you had the opportunity to work with. And, um, you know, a lot of times when people look back at their education, they might think, well, you know, I had to do this, or these were the requirements, but this isn't the way that, that you are talking about your experiences. All of it is, um, you know, different uh, situations that you were able to make choices that, uh, you know, really, really helped you in your education. Can you talk a little bit about um, what choice means to you now as an instructor? Yes. Yeah. For me now, it means providing as many choices as possible. <laughs> um, so one place that I've really been able to, to do that is again, in a business communication course that I taught um, a few years ago, I think in 2018, I applied for um, a SOTL grant. So scholarship of teaching and learning. Um, and what I wanted to do was create an opportunity for students to read something that wasn't their textbook. Because again, this is a course that is students only English course that they get while they're at the college. Um, and I wanted them to read something, but I wanted them to read something that they actually liked. Um, so for this project, I, um, yeah, I, I created kind of a scaffolded assignment where students got to choose something to read that was related to business communication. Um, and I tried to guide them through that process. So again, practicing reader's advisory, I, I um, kind of curated a list of books they might choose. The library was fantastic and brought a lot of those books in. We went down to the library and had um, a presentation about what books were available. But um, again, I tried to emphasize that, you know, it could be a book, but it could be fiction or nonfiction. It could be a graphic novel novel, it could be a podcast or an audiobook. So again, really trying to expand the definition of what a text is. And most importantly, they got to choose which one they wanted to read. Um, they, um, with that, that project um, had a fantastic research assistant, Maggie Lyon, um, whose mom, Connie, also teaches at the college. Um, and she uh, kind of, um, she did some semi-structured interviews with the students who engaged with this pro uh, project. And they all said, you know, I, I like to read, I would like to read more at the college, but I want to have some choice in what I read. 
Um, so that, that choice, that ability to self-select something, but then, you know, have that time to read it as part of a class that was so valuable and beneficial. And the, the text that students chose were so wide ranging um, from, you know, from a podcast by uh, a woman, um, Jen Gotch, who created Bando. So if you go to chapters, all of those journals, she does the <laughs> day planner, she does that. The podcast by her, I had someone do Mr. Mercedes by Stephen King about the communication issues that come up, you know, when you're investigating. <laughs> <laughs> a murder. Um, it was just um, so wide ranging. And I loved seeing students, they they had to make those connections between what they were reading and our course content. And I was there to help. Um, but but that that was really exciting to see. <laughs> and it sounds like you got that feedback from the students that they really liked having that choice. Yes. And so many said too, that I, it was right before the Christmas break and they then had like these stacks of books, um, that they emailed me about and said, here's what I'm going to read next. So it, it really started, you know, this forward momentum to, to more reading. So carried on beyond just the class. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you're really having an influence then that's fantastic. Yes. <laughs> Amy, I want to talk about high flex and high flex is something in CTLI that we've been working on some supports for instructors to develop high flex courses and classes. And as I understand high flex, it um, provides students with elements of choice. It provides them with potentially some face-to-face -face opportunities, some online opportunities. And I understand that you've got some, some experience with that. We're, we're kind of considering it a, a newer thing, but I know you've been working on high flex for a little while now. Um, for for me, um, high flex learning over the last couple of semesters now um, has been all about making courses more flexible and accessible to students, both now off campus, but probably eventually back on as well. Um, I've just heard from so many students uh, last semester and this semester that, you know, they would not be able to take any courses if we didn't have this option for online learning. Uh, and that's just opened up an accessibility that wasn't there for them previously when everything was on campus, face-to-face -face and synchronous. So um, whenever I was uh, kind of designing my courses for an online semester, um, what really helped inform my decisions was uh, the fact that I've taught online uh, for several years. So um, I teach online the distance learning courses. I've, I've taught um, a business writing course every semester since the summer of 2016. And I mean every semester, that summer, fall, and winter. <laughs> And when I first got that course, it was like a blank slate. So I got to design it from scratch. Um, and I, I really used what works well in that class to inform, okay, well, how am I going to have this online, but also have other opportunities to engage with students? Um, so over the summer, I did a, a lot of work to um, make sure that course material was just available to students in so many different ways. 
So like an online course, um, if students are independent or working and they can never attend any Zoom classes, I have my course set up like an online course so they can get all of the information that they need. There are multiple videos, <laughs> so many videos. I learned Canvas Studio really well um, this summer, <laughs> this last summer. Um, and um, when I found out we were online, I reached out to a lot of previous students to ask if I could use their assignments as examples. Um, so my students just don't always know how to start and need some structure and guidance. So all of that is just on Canvas in discrete modules. But I also make sure I have a structured weekly Zoom class where everybody gets together because um, I, I know how important it is for students not, not just interact with me, <laughs> but to also interact with, with one another as well. So we do have a really structured class every week. And then I also have opportunities for students to meet one-on-one -on -one with me. Um, and I find, especially in writing courses, this has been so beneficial uh, for students being more comfortable with sharing their writing and getting feedback. I know when I'm in a classroom and I offer to stick behind if anybody wants to talk more or, or for me to look at their writing, some do, but uh, a lot don't. And I know they're put off by their classmates being around. It doesn't feel private enough. It's just not comfortable. Well, in a one-on-one -on -one Zoom meeting, it is just the two of us. <laughs> and I've just found students are so comfortable with sharing their screen. We'll go through their writing together one-on-one. -on -one. Um, they'll make any changes and then they'll submit it to Canvas. And it's just, it's worked so well for not just helping students revise their work, but also to help them become better um, editors themselves and to kind of work with those techniques over Zoom and just one-on-one -on -one too, which is the relationship you wanna have with an editor <laughs> when your, your writing is just in its initial stages. <laughs> yep. It's great to hear um, the benefits that have occurred, you know, through using Zoom and through, you know, doing things online that, that you're really seeing a benefit with that. Yes, uh, I, absolutely. I've, I've read some of the best writing I have ever read um, in, in last semester and the beginning of this semester already. So in the high flex class, it sounds like students have, have the choice. They can, um, you know, do everything completely online and um, do it that way, or they can come to the zoom classes, you know, that are scheduled if their time allows, or they can go back and forth in between. Is that right? That is right. And, um, you know, I, I just really think that this option for high flex and, uh, all of these opportunities to connect, it really helps to acknowledge that, you know, students' lives are not just on campus. They have interesting, difficult, varied lives, you know, and they don't always share that in a classroom. And I think that high flex learning better acknowledges that, you know, there, there is more to a lot of students than post-secondary, and it actually helps us meet them there um, uh, with what they need. That's, that's excellent, um, because it sounds like you're just incorporating all the best practices of teaching and, and giving your students the best experience possible. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> now, I've seen on the college website that you um, have done some really interesting and intriguing and innovative things in your classes recently. And this actually kind of goes full circle back to some of the opportunities that you had in your undergraduate where you were meeting authors. Um, can you talk about what you've been doing in your classes recently? 
Sure. Um, it's actually been a, a very exciting couple of semesters. Um, I, I found out last spring uh, that I would have the opportunity to teach a course uh, called Writing for Children and Young Adults. Um, so this was a course that had not been run at the college since I think 2009, uh, when it was taught by Richard Stevenson. Um, so when I when I found out I was teaching this course, I knew I wanted to bring it back <laughs> with a bang. <laughs> it was going to be a celebration. Um, and especially because for me as an instructor, it just it combines uh, everything that I've been doing for the past 10 years, um, my focus on on yeah, or more than 10 years, like 15 years, um, my focus on young adult literature and children's literature, and then my focus as a writer of young adult literature as well. Um, so when I found out about this, I frantically got to work um, at uh, uh, two Shirk grant applications, a Shirk Explore and a Shirk Exchange grant. Um, for the Shirk Explore, um, I proposed um, to kind of start a student-run literary magazine at the college where um, we could publish student work, um, poetry, short fiction, nonfiction, photography. Now that has been deferred for a year because of COVID. <laughs> but it is coming. We will have a student-run uh, literary magazine. Now, the Shirk Exchange Grant um, was, was meant to help support bringing authors of children's and young adult literature into the classroom. And here's where being on Zoom really became beneficial, because when I initially proposed um, to bring uh, authors into the classroom, it was one author, maybe two, <laughs> who would have to be flowing here to stay in a hotel, uh, be pay paid an honorarium. Uh, once we went online, um, inviting just just one author has turned into inviting eight authors <laughs> over two semesters um, as, as we're able just to kind of uh, be on the Zoom classroom together. You're in the Zoom classroom. <laughs> and I imagine that also kind of opened up the world geographically that you could extend your reach to authors much further away than you might have otherwise been able to do. Yes, so uh, we had two Canadian or three, three Canadian authors come in. Um, we had Eric Dick, who is a local um, writer and illustrator in Lethbridge. Um, he came in to run a illustration workshop with students so they could not just write, but also illustrate a picture book um, and kind of take it a little bit more complicated than stick figures. <laughs> and they, they all did. Um, we also had Heather Smith, um, uh, kind of a middle grade and children's writer in Ontario, and uh, Sydney Smith, who is from Halifax and has won the Governor General's Award for his wordless picture book. But then outside of Canada, um, we had graphic novelist uh, Kat Lay uh, come in to speak to students, um, and also Deb Coletti, who is a young adult author out of Seattle. And uh, finding out so early that I was able to teach this book, these uh, I was able to teach this course, actually allowed me to make sure I could align the books that students were reading with the authors who were coming in which takes some planning and made me really respect the professor who did that at Mount Allison because it is a lot of work uh, to meet that bookstore deadline and to confirm speakers, but it, it happened. <laughs> so students were reading two picture books, a middle grade graphic novel, which is such an exciting category of literature right now, and a young adult novel as well. Um, so it was, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> I, I imagine your students just absolutely love that class. 
they all, a lot of them expressed that they had never met an author before. So this was the first time they had been able to talk to an author about writing. Um, and what Zoom really facilitated was, you know, we weren't in a classroom or a lecture hall. We were inside these writers' homes and studios. They were showing us where they work and how where they work informs their creative practice. And I think just, just like my experience, seeing authors as more accessible, seeing writing as something that you do because you love. And if you if you work hard at it, it could be a career. Um, students really felt the same way that these were just normal people who love to write and here they were doing it um, as their job. What an amazing experience, because I mean, you look at a book and you you see the author's name there. But, you know, even if you see a picture along with it, you don't really put that face to that name or, you know, as you say, you know, being in their home and having them talk about the creative process. I mean, that makes it real in a, in a whole different way. It's, it's so true. And I, I think um, uh, Deb Coletti is one of the best examples of, of this, the, the young adult author who came in. I personally have been reading her book since I was 16 years old. <laughs> and uh, I have been so impacted by, by her writing. Um, I could not believe that she said yes to this. She's, a, she's been nominated for the biggest awards in young adult literature. And she came in and talked so enthusiastically enthusiastically to students about uh, the good things in her writing, the, the um, obstacles she had to overcome, and she connected just beautifully with the students in that class. So is this class going to be offered again? If anyone's listening, would they, you know, and, and they went, oh, I missed it. Would they have another opportunity to take this class? Yes. Uh, so this class is running next fall. Um, and I intend to do the same thing to make sure that we're reading books by visiting authors. Um, although we'll, we'll see what's happening at the time, if they will actually be able to travel here <laughs> or if we will be back on Zoom. <laughs> well, it sounds like it'll be, it'll be wonderful no matter which. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so just um, Say the complete name of that class again so that we've got that out there for folks if they're interested. Yes, it's called, it's English 1185 Writing for Children and Young Adults. Excellent. Well, I, I might even have to look into that myself. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> um, Amy, I want to jump back to the high flex because I realize I missed now. I still do want to ask you. Um, with high flex, you've talked a little bit about um, what you needed to do to set up the class and structure the class. So what advice would you give to any instructors that are listening that are, you know, thinking they might like to dip their toes into the high flex pond? What, what should they do? Yeah, so um, I would say um, I like to think of it as an investment, <laughs> um, an investment in students learning, but an investment in your courses as well. Um, all that content that is on Canvas, you know, is just such a great uh, kind of baseline uh, that you can you can continue forward and work with and play around with. But uh, you you have a baseline that's built in in so many different formats and different ways. Um, so my recommendation is um, to start by thinking about how best to translate 
some of those great activities that we do in the classroom <laughs> into something that can be done online, um, that can be done independently and in groups. Um, and it's, it's kind of a fun exercise. It, uh, it made me feel really creative um, trying to imagine, okay, if students are just at home by themselves, how am I going to give them a really great experience with writing? And uh, I'll, I'll, I don't know, I can share one thing that I love to do is I, I thought, you know, if I was a student and home all the time on Zoom, I want a reason to get outside. And so I created a, a writing as movement assignment where students had to go out for a walk <laughs> and, and reflect on it and read an article that talks about how um, walking is thinking is writing. Uh, and, and I got to see all of these fantastic walks that were mapped out for me and submitted on Canvas. So I, I find it just, it, it opens up so many opportunities that we can't do when we're in the classroom. Um, I, and, and to think creatively, I mean, it's fun. It is so fun to get to reimagine your course <laughs> and think about a new way to get to, you know, deploy it um, in a different environment. I, I had so much fun last summer. And so I would say it's an investment, but you can have a lot of fun <laughs> as you do that. <laughs> is part of your process with that putting yourself in the mind of the student? Always. I'm really far out from, you know, undergrad, but I think like a student all the time. You know, even when I record these little videos going over assignments, I think, okay, well, what is my, you know, attention span? And I, you know, five minutes <laughs> is probably it. So I do really small, short videos because I, yeah, I, I do that all the time. Um, once, once you forget what it's like to be a student, we lose that connection so fast. And, you know, as soon as you think about what you liked as a student and what you didn't, it, it, I always find it really makes me think more deeply about what I want to do and what works and what students like and what's really hard to do. <laughs> that, that's, that's awesome. I, I love how you have looked at all these things, you know, with that optimistic lens and with the lens of, you know, looking for those opportunities. So it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and, and you've got me excited to look for some of these books and, and, uh, you know, think about what reading I'm doing. Um, so to wrap up our conversation today, we like to maybe get a recommendation from you or, um, ask you about something that you have maybe been learning recently that is new to you. It's something that you've really loved learning about that, um, you know, is a little different for you. Sure. Um, I think finding times to move and be active has been the most important part of, of this working from home. Um, it can be really easy just to sit in one spot all day long and never get up. And I'm, I'm lucky I've got a dog so I can take my dog on lots of walks. Um, I've, I've discovered something called Dance Church. Um, it's just called Dance Church because it's on Sunday mornings. Um, and I only mentioned this, Donna, because I listened to a podcast in heard about your experience with dog dancing. <laughs> okay, now I have to check this out. That sounds very interesting. 
it's very fun. So yeah, Sunday mornings, I'm dancing in my basement. <laughs> but um, one of the things I've really been doing, which is new to me is cross country skiing. And as I look out my window, there is no snow, you have to go kind of far to be able to cross country ski. But um, it's something that has taken me so far out of my comfort zone. Um, I grew up downhill skiing um, at Castle, my family had a cabin there, I did the Nancy Green program, I did the racing program, I love downhill skiing, cross country skiing is not like downhill skiing <laughs> at all. They're such different things. And I have never fallen so many times on skis. I have never felt so unstable. I have never felt like more, <laughs> more trepidation as I'm approaching the top of a hill. And I've definitely taken my skis off and walked down because I, I know I'm going to hurt myself. But it's just, I, I really like learning new things. I, I think you, you, you stay in post-secondary this long. It's because of that, right? <laughs> you love learning and I've, I've really liked, you know, trying to get better at cross country. Um, and you know, the last, last time we were at sync line, um, I go with my husband, Chris, who teaches at the college too. Uh, last time we went, I think I got up to like 40 kilometers per hour on cross country skis down a hill. Which, where oh, I that's a pretty good speed. <laughs> so yes, it's, it's definitely a work in progress, but I'm, I'm really enjoying falling down a lot. I, I really am. <laughs> so you're even finding the opportunity in that. I'm trying. <laughs> well, I hope we get a little more snow because as you say, there isn't a lot of snow, but at least we do have uh, good places in the mountains nearby to go. Yes, not too far. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Amy. I've thoroughly enjoyed talking to you today and uh, maybe we'll see you out on the cross-country ski trails sometime. Uh, thanks, Donna. This was so much fun. For more information on this episode's guest or on CTLI, see the episode notes or visit learninginnovation.ca. Thank you to CTLI for sponsoring this podcast and thanks to Ryan Robinson, Mike Smith, Jude Bielik, Joel Godfrey, and all of the others who have contributed to making this possible. Most of all, thank you for listening. Talk to you again soon on Learning Innovation, the Teaching and Learning Podcast. Mm -hmm.